Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 57 of Destination Disaster. I'm your host, Devin Carney. As I was writing this episode, I kind of thought to myself that it's been a while since we've covered a lot of the disasters that have happened over the last couple of months. Primarily, I was just going to cover the Hawaii wildfires this week, but it seems like each week since releasing the previous episode, a significant disaster has occurred. So we're going to switch it up and have an episode to cover those latest disasters. The first story that we are going to cover are the devastating wildfires that occurred in Hawaii. The 2023 Maui wildfires are the deadliest natural disaster to occur in the state of Hawaii to this very day. There are several factors that led to these deadly wildfires. The first being a strong Category 4 hurricane named Dora and a high pressure system that remained north of Hawaii that proved to be a deadly combination necessary for the wildfires that we witnessed. In early August 2023, a high pressure system remained north of the Hawaiian Islands This formed strong surface pressure north of the islands and also sustained stabilization across the region, creating warm and sunny conditions. Concurrently, Hurricane Dora began to intensify to Category 4 strength, which may have helped to create a large pressure difference between the high-pressure area and the low-pressure cyclone. This pressure difference would have aided in already significant trade winds moving southwest and formed strong gradient winds over the islands. By August 6th, the National Weather Service identified a region of very dry air arriving from the East Pacific, greatly inhibiting the potential for rainfall. A prominent descending capping inversion forced even more stabilization of the atmosphere, which led to enhanced wind gusts and very dry conditions between August 7th and 8th. As the day progressed, deep layer ridging combined with the existing pressure gradient created very strong wind gusts and caused humidity levels to be well below normal. The aforementioned cap was expected to only strengthen acceleration of wind due to terrain features near the islands. Prior to the first brush fires igniting, the National Weather Service in Honolulu issued a red flag warning for the leeward portions of the islands due to the very dry conditions which made it conducive for wildfire conditions until the morning of August 9th. East winds of 30 to 45 miles per hour with gusts of over 60 miles per hour were forecast, and Maui County, Officials reported gusts up to 80 miles per hour in the upcountry Maui area. The aforementioned conditions prompted smaller brush fires to erupt around Maui, with the first being a 30-acre brush fire near the island's main airport, Kahului Airport, at 11 a.m. The fire was short-lived and was reported at 90% contained by 9.30 a.m. the same day. 
multiple different brush fires began to ignite. This quickly overwhelmed the available firefighting resources in Maui County. However, while not 100% confirmed, down utility wires are believed to have been a factor in sparking these fires. In the upcountry Maui area, Kula was the next community to be affected by fires. On August 8th, at around 12.30 in the morning, a significant fire was reported, and by 3.40 a.m., evacuations had begun. As of August 9th, that fire had burned approximately 1,000 acres, approximately 544 structures were exposed, 96% of which were residential, and 16 burned. Concurrent electrical grid sensor data and security camera footage reported by the Washington Post indicate that a downed power line hit by a tree may have caused this fire. The worst fire to occur during this event was the Lahaina Fire. Strong, straight-line winds began in the early morning hours of August 8th, with peak gusts being measured at around 80 miles per hour. These wind gusts would be responsible for causing a utility pole to collapse and lead to the fire that would ultimately destroy an entire town. At about 6.40 that same morning, a three-acre brush fire was reported, and while it was initially brought under control, the intense winds would cause the fire to spark up again. The fire this time would begin to spread quickly, and as the fire began to ignite homes, pipes began to melt, which would ultimately lead to firefighters fighting a losing battle with little water pressure. At around 4.40 p.m. Hawaii Standard Time, the fire reportedly crossed Hawaii Route 30, and entered the main part of Lahaina. This would force residents to self-evacuate with little or no emergency notice. At this time, bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic developed. By 5.45 Hawaii Standard Time, the fire had reached the shoreline. When the United States Coast Guard first learned of people jumping into the ocean to escape the Lahaina fire, survivors later recalled getting trapped in a traffic jam and realizing they needed to go into the water when cars around them either caught fire or exploded. I'm going to share some media from people who faced the fire firsthand and what exactly they had to do to survive. The following media is provided by CNN. I sat up on top of the roof and uh, I battled the fire for about three hours. I couldn't do it anymore. And then I said, I have to move. And then I ran to the ocean and just I gave in. So you literally saved yourself by jumping into the ocean? Yes. When you turned around and looked back, what'd you see? Dev devastation. Everything. Gone. As a result of this wildfire, over 2,000 structures were either damaged or destroyed completely. 97 deaths were confirmed, and 31 individuals remain unaccounted for. This represents what a true worst-case scenario resembles. When you have nowhere to evacuate to but the ocean and are provided little to no warning, this is the outcome. The warning sirens did not activate, and due to the blackout on the island, a percentage of the population did not receive the warning via phone either. Despite Hawaii's Advanced Integrated Outdoor Siren Warning System on Maui, 80 of these sirens, designated for tsunamis and other disasters, remained silent as the fires burned. The Hawaii Emergency Management Agency attributed the lack of activation to the fire's rapid progression and existing ground response coordination. And while residents received other alerts, such as mobile phone notifications, the intensity and urgency of these messages were deemed insufficient. At least one analyst compared them unfavorably to high-priority tsunami warnings, suggesting a possible alarm fatigue among residents, where frequent, less urgent alerts can diminish the perceived significance of real threats. 
the administrator of the Maui County Emergency Management Agency, Herman Andaya, defended the decision not to activate the emergency sirens in an August 16th press conference. He argued that the outdoor sirens exist only on the coastline and are normally used to warn residents to flee tsunamis heading to the mountainside, which would have sent them straight into the fire. Andaya resigned the next day effective immediately, citing health reasons. As I stated at the start of this story, this investigation is ongoing, so not all of the information is available, and I plan to do a comprehensive episode once the official investigative report is released. The next story carries us further across the Pacific Ocean to the country of China, where it has recently experienced some of the deadliest flooding it has seen in over 100 years. This immense rainfall was caused by Typhoon Dok Suri and would lead to 16 cities and provinces recording unprecedented rainfall totals and flooding. Typhoon Dok Suri was the deadliest storm to impact China in recorded history. The storm was first identified by the Japanese Meteorological Agency on July 19th as a low-pressure system in the Philippine Sea and quickly intensified through July 23rd. Its rapid intensification is attributed to a lack of vertical wind shear affecting the cyclone while moving over very warm ocean waters. Satellite imagery showed the development of an eye-like feature which was fully defined by 300 UTC on July 24th. Over 24 hours, its maximum sustained wind speeds grew by 30 knots and eventually reached a peak of 100 knots or 120 miles per hour. At 2100 UTC, the Joint Typhoon Warning Center upgraded the system into a super typhoon, its highest storm category, after Dock Surrey attained one minute sustained wind speeds of 130 knots or 150 miles per hour. Impacts were felt hardest in China, where over 15 billion U.S. dollars in damage was done. Over 80 people would lose their lives, 35 remained missing, and 39 injuries resulted from this impact. Dok Suri made landfall in Jianjiang, Fujian, and rapidly weakened. The Chinese Meteorological Agency issued a red warning, the highest warning for rainfall and associated flooding. Some parts of Baoding, Xiang'an New Area, and other cities would see especially torrential rains of between 250 to 450 millimeters, with local accumulations potentially reaching more than 600 millimeters or 24 inches. The average rainfall in Beijing was 276.5 millimeters or 10.89 inches. The largest rainfall occurred in Xingkun and Shidu Fangshan district at 500.4 millimeters or 19.7 inches. The maximum hourly rain intensity occurred in Qingling Mountain Fengtai District at 111.8 millimeters or 4.4 inches on July 31st. Due to the anticipated flooding, evacuations began to take place in areas where flooding was expected to be worst. Several tourist attractions such as Tiananmen Square and the Palace Museum were temporarily closed as the Beijing Flood Control Headquarters issued their red alert. Heavy rainfall caused at least nine deaths and six missing in the province, and more than 540,000 people were affected. Seven flood storage and detention areas were successively used to transfer 840,000 people. Among them, Baoding recorded 350 millimeters or 14 inches, and Dingzhou City recorded 319.7 millimeters or 12.59 inches of rainfall. In early August, flood control systems were used to redirect 1.8 billion cubic meters of water from Beijing and Tianjin to low-lying areas of Hebei province. More than 850,000 residents were told to evacuate, including 134,000 in Zhouzhou and 113,000 in Galbeidin. 
While inspecting relief efforts, local Communist Party Secretary Ni Yufeng commented that Hebei should serve as the capital's moat, prompting criticism online. Our final story for this episode is going to remain along the same lines as our previous story. This time in Libya, where it is currently recovering from a devastating flooding event as a result of Mediterranean Storm Daniel. Cyclone Daniel is the deadliest and costliest cyclone in recorded history to form outside of the Atlantic Basin, forming as a low-pressure system around September 4, 2023. The storm affected Greece, Bulgaria, and Turkey with extensive flooding. The storm then organized as a Mediterranean low and was designated as Storm Daniel. It soon acquired quasi-tropical characteristics and moved toward the coast of Libya, where it caused catastrophic flooding before degenerating into a remnant low. The storm was the result of an omega block, a high-pressure zone sandwiched between two zones of low pressure with the isobars shaping like the Greek letter omega. When the storm initially impacted Greece, it caused over 2 billion euros in damage. However, where the most considerable damage occurred was the country of Libya, and more specifically, the city of Derna, where two dams collapsed, leading to the release of over 30 million cubic yards of water. On the night between the 10th and 11th of September 2023, in the aftermath of Storm Daniel, the dam collapses released an estimated 30 million cubic meters, or 39 million cubic yards, of water, causing flooding downstream as the Wadi Derna overflowed its banks. The floods partially destroyed the city of Derna. As of September 18th, estimates for the number of casualties range between 5,300 to 20,000 people. At the time this flooding occurred, many of these victims would have been in their homes sleeping as the floodwaters quickly overtook the buildings and swept them away to their fates. Hospitals in the city were rendered inoperable while morgues filled up, prompting bodies to be laid out on sidewalks and in the city's main square. More than 300 bodies were sent to a morgue in Tobruk to cope with the overcrowding. More than 1,000 bodies were later buried in mass graves. Naval teams were dispatched to recover bodies swept out to sea by the floods. Over the succeeding days, at least 200 bodies were found washed up as far as 20 kilometers away from Derna. Others were found more than 100 kilometers away from the city. One person was rescued after being found 11 nautical miles off the coast of Derna. As you listen to these stories, did you notice a growing trend? Did you notice that these events were recorded as the worst to happen? As we continue to grow this growing climate emergency, each time we experience a natural disaster, they will continue to be the worst on record. This should be throwing off alarm bells for all of you listening and to prepare you and your future generations that disasters will only continue to get worse if we do not act now. I want to thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like and share it. I am still looking for people to interview next season. So if you or if you know someone that is within this profession or in a subsect of this profession, please, you know, shoot them my email and tell them to contact me and I would be more than willing to interview them. Until next time, this has been Destination Disaster.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.